Welcome to the January 2020 edition of Beef Monthly. In this month's headline news, we'll provide updates on foreign trade as well as current and upcoming legislative issues from Washington and the new Animal Ag Alliance Information Resource Center. In consumer focus, we'll be talking with Dr. Stacy Zelli, Extension Meat Science Specialist, about steak selection. In producer focus, we'll be talking with Jeff Sherfield, an Indiana Beef Cattle Association Board of Director. In timely production and management tips, Matt Clays will be talking about winter management concerns and the upcoming calving season. In the Ask Dr. Ron segment, we'll be talking about using protein tubs to meet cow requirements. And in the Beef Congress wrap-up, Matt Clays and Barry Westner will talk about that. In upcoming events, we have the Indiana Beef Cattle Convention, National Cattlemen's Convention, Small Farms Conference, and the Indiana Forage Council Annual Meeting. I'm Dr. Ron Lemonager, Beef Extension Specialist at Purdue University. In this month's headline news, analysts say that tighter cattle supplies coming out of 2019 should result in a 3 to 5% higher calf and yearling price in 2020. With the challenging weather that we saw in 2019, through November year over year, we saw a 7% more heifers and 3% more cows slaughtered compared to the same time frame in 2018. This increased slaughter was higher than expected and indicates the fifth consecutive year of increased cow slaughter. This, coupled with optimism that feed costs will be supportive of feeder calf prices entering the feedlot, anticipation that international trade will hold its own if not improve, an expected reduction in beef imports, and a strong global demand for animal protein should be positive for cattle prices in 2020. The signing of Phase 1 trade deal with China was signed on Wednesday, January 15th. The trade agreement includes significant components of change to technology issues, intellectual property issues, and the purchase of $50 billion worth of agricultural commodities. Analysts, however, are concerned that the African swine fever challenges in China and strong competition from Brazil could lower soybean exports and that corn exports may be pressured by the suspension of the Chinese plan to implement the E10 ethanol mandate. Walmart has entered the beef business by creating a supply chain and opening a new meat processing facility in Georgia last week. The facility is committed to supplying an all-natural, no-hormone, black Angus beef product to 500 retail stores in the southeast. The supply chain starts with genetics and feeding in Texas, slaughter in Kansas, and further processing in Georgia. In a related issue, the Animal Ag Alliance has a new website and update resources to celebrate the beginning of the new decade. The mission of the Alliance is to bridge the communication gap between farm and fork. The website features resources to help farmers, ranchers, veterinarians, and supporters of the industry 
to engage in any and all conversations about animal agriculture. Issues such as animal welfare, antibiotic use, sustainability, nutrition, and animal rights activism are covered in the website. One of the website's updated resources is the Animal Rights Group's web that details how these groups are connected through funding, project collaboration, and flow of staff and volunteers. These resources can be found at a website listed in the show notes below this video. As part of the USDA commitment to ensure fair and competitive markets for livestock, the USDA Agricultural Marketing Service, or AMS, published in the Federal Register a new proposed rule specifying four criteria the agency would consider when determining whether an undue or unreasonable preference or advantage has occurred in violation of the Packers and Stockyards Act. Public comment on the proposed rule is available until March 13, 2020. Comments can be submitted at the website below this video. USDA's NRCS is accepting proposals for conservation grants. The application deadline is February 7, 2020. The investment from the federal government is $35 million in grants to enhance our outreach to the nation's farmers and ranchers for the delivery and adoption of conservation measures. For more program information, please visit the announcement of the program funding on grants.government using the website URL located in the show notes below. And now, a word from our good friends at Corteva, who have graciously underwritten this program. Your land is more than a business. It's a heritage that has been passed down from those who tended it before you, by those who shaped it, changed it, and cared for it. Your land has a legacy, one that you carry on, but also one you build on. At Corteva AgriScience, we are the stewards of a lasting legacy. We have a responsibility to Dow AgroSciences to maintain the relationships and trust they built and to build upon those foundations to help you care for your land to provide innovations that help you protect the hard work and investment you've poured into it to help you build a legacy that can be passed on for generations to come Corteva AgriScience segment, I'd like to talk to Dr. Stacy Zelli, our beef plant extension specialist, on selecting a, a steak. Okay. So tell me what, what I need to be looking for as, I, as a consumer. Well, when, first off, I think there's two rules of thumb that we always uh, like to harp on. And the first one is that, in general, those cuts from the limbs are going to be a lot less tender. They definitely have a lot more variation in tenderness because those are ones that really had to move that animal around every day, so they got a lot more connective tissue in it. So when you think about, like, the chuck and the round, those are not going to be usually your most ideal steaks, just from a tenderness standpoint. So usually your middle meats, your rib and your loin, are going to be a whole lot more conducive to giving you a better tenderness, much more consistent in your tenderness. 
Um, and then the other rule of thumb is that in general they kind of fatten from front to rear. So again, those things, those cuts that you get out of the chuck do have a little more flavor to them. So even though they're a little tougher, they get a little more flavor to them. But those ones out of the round are not going to have that same flavor to them because they're just so much leaner. So they all have their pieces and parts of being beneficial. But again, now those middle meats, those rib and the loin, are going to be your most user friendly. Also, you're more expensive, but for a good reason. So let's talk about what the steaks sure. you've got. Great. So I've got two steaks here. So the first one I have here is a ribeye steak. And so you can see you've got this large muscle here. This happens to be bone-in. You can also see it boneless. Um, and so uh, a ribeye steak is just a really great ideal steak that comes out of that rib portion. Uh, so it, it's really user-friendly. has a lot of flavor to it. Um, then the other steak that we have here is going to be our porterhouse steak. And so this is a bone-in steak, as you can see. But a lot of people know this by the boneless names. And if you look at this muscle right here, this large one on this side, that's our New York Strip or Kansas City Strip, depending on what side of the river you're on, right? Right. And then the other one, we have this small one over here, is our tenderloin, or sometimes called our filet. So when you're getting a porterhouse or a T-bone, you're actually getting kind of two steaks in one. Uh, or like I said, you can get two boneless steaks. And if you get, uh, you get the right restaurant and get the right size porterhouse, it can actually be a couple steaks. Absolutely. Oh, it serves so, very well, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is actually, in porterhouse damage, this is actually kind of a smaller one. And so a lot of times, yeah, they, they make, it makes an ideal serving for two people. Yes, absolutely. Because it's, like I said, two steaks in one. So, yeah. Stacy, thank you. Thank you. We have Jeff Sherfield from Spencer, Indiana, joining us this month on Producer Focus. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Hey, tell us a little bit about your operation. Well, my operation is probably about what the average is nationally. We've got about 35 cows. Half our herd is uh, Angus. was in Angus business for many, many years. And then once my daughter got out of the show business, and we kind of have some commercial cows as well. Put up about 100 acres of hay every year. So that pretty much describes my small beef operation. You're also a member of the Indiana Beef Cattle Association, a, a board of director from, I think, Region 5. That's correct. And so tell, tell us a little bit about what how you view the value of the Indiana Beef Cattle Association membership. Well, you know, Ron, it first started off with my own kids showing cattle. So with membership, you know, my kids got to participate in Hoosier Beef Congress, mm -hmm. et cetera. So that was a big thing for us, but then uh, once they got out of it and I became a director, uh, you know, the Beef Cattle Association, I really didn't fully understand what they did, but uh, just a year and a half ago we had a fencing law situation come up in a neighboring county. Probably my individual influence wouldn't have had much impact, but was able to call the Beef Cattle Association office and the people up here uh, went to the legislatures and uh, that was a big benefit. So. They were doing things that I, as an individual, couldn't do. They have a tremendous voice with, with a membership base that they can speak as one voice with, with multiple members, and it, it's pretty powerful from a lobbying perspective and, and that kind of thing. So, Correct. And then, then I, I might want to add that, uh, you know, with the scholarships that we give, and I'm chairman of the scholarship committee, and with those funds that we're able to give to those kids in college, and while it may not be a benefit to the individual producer out there, it does help those families that are lucky enough to receive those scholarships. You bet. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Ron. In this month's Ask Dr. Ron, 
we have a question from a producer that says, my small cow herd is having a tough time this winter. Temperature, temperatures have been mild this winter, but early on my cows seem to be losing weight. I know that my hay is not as good as last year, and they seem to be wasting more hay than in the past. The question is, if I use protein tubs, could that be the cheapest way to turn them around and make it through the winter? Will adding a protein tub to their diet help me through this winter? My response is first. We probably need to really sample our hay to know what nutrients need to be su supplemented. More specifically, do we need a protein-rich or an energy-rich supplement? While protein tubs are convenient, they may not always be the most cost-effective or appropriate way of supplementing the cow herd. Protein tubs vary in energy and protein content, and they're designed to limit intake. Most commercial products limit intake to about two pounds per day or less. So let's take an example of a 1,300-pound mature cow during late gestation. This cow requires two and a half pounds of protein and 12.8 megacals of energy per day. Let's assume that the hay analysis shows 8% crude protein, 0.4 megacals per pound of NEM, and 68% NDF. The cow will consume about one and three quarters percent of her body weight in hay dry matter per day, or about 22.75 pounds. If we do the math, she will consume about 1.8 pounds of protein and 9.1 megacals per day. This leaves a deficiency of 0.7 megacals of protein and 0.37 megacals of NEM per day. If the protein tub contains 35% protein, then she could come close to meeting her protein requirement if she consumes two pounds of a 35% crude protein supplement per day. However, two pounds of supplement will only yield about 1.7 megacals of net energy for maintenance per day. This means we're stu still two megacals of NEM short or the equivalent of about two and a quarter pounds of corn per day. In this example, energy is the first limiting nutrient and cows will lose weight and body condition score by just feeding a 35% protein tub. A cheaper alternative would be to feed 3.4 pounds of dry corn gluten feed pellets or 2.6 pounds of dry distiller's grains per day. These levels would meet both the energy and the protein requirements. The bottom line of all of this is that you need to know what your forages provide. Protein tubs are not always equal in energy and protein, so you really need to be, make sure that you know what you're buying okay, to meet the requirements. Protein tub intake is limited and may not re meet the requirements. If we hand feed a commodity supplement, it may be cheaper and more effective. Waste due to sorting is higher on low quality hay. And we need to be aware of that. That means that we need to look at our inventory and account for that wastage. And if you're going to hand feed, good bunk management is really necessary so that all animals get what they need. This may require that you sort cows into feeding groups 
so that competition at the feed bunk is minimized. Welcome to Beef Monthly, January edition. This is going to be a wrap-up of the Hoosier Beef Congress that was held in December of 2019. And with us is Barry Westner, co-chairman of the Hoosier Beef Congress. Thanks for being here, Barry, to kind of wrap up what a premier event the Hoosier Beef Congress is. Um, first of all, number of exhibitors and cattle exhibited, where the numbers just seem to, to hang right in there. What did those look like? Uh, they looked really good, Matt. This was the 33rd uh, Hoosier Beef Congress, and I'd like to tell you there was in excess of 700 exhibitors, 1,248 paid entries. Good set of cattle and a number of exhibitors there all you working, bet. and the quality of the cattle was really good. I thought that the depth was really good throughout the, the shows, and probably more impressive, impressive to me was the young people and their showmanship skills. We had a huge showmanship uh, division this year at the Hoosier Beef Congress. You bet. Uh, my numbers say 614 head of young exhibitors went through the ring for showmanship, starting there on... Friday evening and then concluding on Saturday morning. And you're right, it was very, very competitive. And they had four different divisions within that showmanship, yep, that's right? Correct. Uh, novice, junior, intermediate, and senior. And then uh, they crown a, a supreme champion there towards the end. You'd be correct. Also on, on Saturday, Friday, I guess, and Saturday, the shows for the sale cattle was um, was on, and um, Mr. Smith sorted those those cattle, uh, sale cattle, and the sales were on Saturday. Uh, how, many, how were the numbers there? But they were good. Uh, just a quick reminder on that subject that, you know, uh, participation in these uh, breed sales is, is one of the benefits of being an IBCA member and two members of IBCA. And Again, well attended this year. We had over 50 head in the uh, breed sales and 31 head, <coughs> excuse me, in the all-star steer and heifer sales. So very good, very good gross on those cattle, very well attended event again. Yeah, and all those junior exhibitors and those families are IBCA members as well. You bet. And the neat thing about that is every year we try to recognize those first-year exhibitors how many rookie exhibitors did we have? We, we don't really track them uh, necessarily as rookies anymore, but based on their birth dates and ages, uh, Greg came up with the fact that we had somewhere around 45 to 50 first-year exhibitors at the Hoosier Beef Congress this year. That's good. So the program continues to, to evolve, and, and those young people are continuing to come into the good educational program of having, having livestock. One thing that we do every year is the stalling auction and uh, raise quite a bit of money through that stalling auction. Can you tell us how that money's getting utilized? You bet. Uh, we had that stalling auction there again in late November, and uh, I'm happy to report we raised over $45,000 uh, through the stall auction. So excellent event. And uh, to recap what we said there in our earlier segment, uh, Hoosier Beef Congress will keep half that money for our operating expenses, and the other half of it will be used for youth scholarship opportunities uh, here in the state of Indiana. Through the IBCA. Through IBCA, yeah. you bet. Now, uh, all the member, all the people that go through the ring and those families are IBCA members, and uh, we sure encourage them to 
to stay active in the IBCA. We've got the IBCA convention coming up. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, just a good array of activities there. It'll be on January 25th there at, uh, what is it, the Sheridan Northeast over there by the pyramids. In change Indianapolis. Of, in Indianapolis, right. change of location. Uh, if you want to get on the Indiana Beef Cattle Association's website, there's a detailed explanation of their uh, events that are happening there, some great speakers. We've got some uh, Indiana Breed Associations that are uh, hosting their annual meetings in conjunction with this as well. So great event, and again, uh, another perk for being an IBCA member. Well, Barry, thanks for spending time with us and, and uh, letting us know how the Hoosier Beef Congress uh, ended up for 2019, and I know plans are under the way for 2020. If you have any recommendations or certainly want to volunteer, don't be afraid uh, to give Barry or the IBCA office a, uh, a call. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to Beef Monthly in the January Beef Management Tips section. First of all, for January, we're thinking about uh, calving cows, or the thought process is calving cows in March. So in January, we sure need to evaluate our lice control program. Make sure you check with your veterinarian to see which product works best within your area. We also need to think about uh, feeding our cows uh, to a good body condition score, a 5 to a 7 range, and ideally more of a 5 to 6. Thin cows would be in that three or four body condition score range. We should be 30 to 60, 90 days out uh, and make sure that we've got enough energy uh, within that diet to get them to that five, six body condition score uh, would be really good. Now to do that, we have to test our forages. If you haven't done that yet, make sure that you test your forages and see uh, how much energy and possible protein is going to be needed uh, within that diet. Need to think about feeding vitamin A if it's not in your mineral pack. And last year we had a, a little bit of a shortage in terms of vitamin A, so make sure you check your mineral and that the vitamin A amount within that mineral uh, is going to meet the requirements for your cow herd. Also, we need to think about giving our second injection on those virgin heifers or first calf heifers and a booster shot to prevent scours to those cows that have uh, been vaccinated uh, already. Also, I know this time of year, even though we haven't had the cold, wet uh, weather like we normally do in January, we need to think about providing a windbreak for those cattle and we need to really consider maybe feeding them a little bit more. For every 10 degrees that the temperature drops down below 30 degrees um, we, and the cows are dry, we need to probably add an additional 10% to what we're feeding them. Now if it's wet and really cold and windy out, we can have an increase in the nutrient requirement as much as 30% when the temperature is right at or above 30 degrees. We need to consider moving those heifers to your calving paddock. And we'd like for you to calve those heifers 25 to 30 days uh, ahead of the mature cows. Give them a little bit extra attention as this is a first time experience for those girls. Consider feeding late in the day so that you can promote daytime calving. 
Uh, also, depending on when you think you're going to go to grass, this might be a good time to start feeding a high mag mineral. And as this cold weather comes in, it's a good idea to check your waters and make sure that those heating units are working properly. Now, to prepare for calving season, there's a number of things that I'm sure you know that you need to gather up. First of all, make sure that you've got your ear tags for your calf identification uh, ready to go. Uh, second, we need to think about vitamin A, vitamin E, selenium shots or when processing those calves when they get here. And possibly a, a clostridial or black leg uh, vaccine would be needed. And I would suggest that you really need to consult your herd health professional, your veterinarian, to see if there's anything else that, that you may need to be doing. Iodine dip or, or Nolvasan for those navels uh, is somewhat of a controversial issue. If you're going to be using iodine, uh, tincture iodine uh, would be best. Dr. Horseman uh, says that uh, if you're dipping navels and you're not having any problem, then continue doing it. If you're not dipping navels and you're not having a problem, then probably continue doing that. There is some controversy about it because some have suggested that we need to put the iodine into that navel on the inside or the nolvasan, and there is some different schools of thought there. Here again, consult your veterinarian. Frozen bovine uh, colostrum is uh, another thing that you need to think about gathering up and having on hand. Here in Indiana, dairies are not as prevalent as what they used to be, and the prevalence of yonis is maybe a little bit higher in our dairy population. So frozen um, colostrum from those dairies, make sure that you're getting that from a dairy that uh, is low or does not have Yoni's uh, disease in that operation. There's also some milk replacers that can be used as long as the immunoglobulin uh, portion uh, is above 100. Uh, sometimes those can be used as a colostrum supplement. Electrolyte solutions are also good to have on hand in case calves start to uh, scour and become dehydrated. Uh, antibiotics to treat any possible scours or respiratory disease uh, are good to have on hand as well. And here again, your veterinarian uh, relationship is one that's really important. You need to talk to, to that herd health professional. If you haven't necessarily um, used bulls that are of lower calving ease or responsible breeding decisions, you sure want to have calf pulling equipment uh, on hand. Also, if you're going to castrate early, make sure that uh, you have that equipment available to process those calves uh, shortly after birth. And then if you haven't used a, a bull that is homozygous polled and you have uh, horned calves, some may want to treat those cattle uh, somewhat early. So whatever technique you're wanting to use, make sure that equipment uh, is available uh, and in working order. That's your January beef management tips. Thank you. In upcoming programs and events, we have the Indiana Beef Cattle Conventions, January 25th at the Sheridan North, Indianapolis. Registration can be made through the IBCA website, and it's listed below 
and show notes. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association National Convention is February 4 through 7 in San Antonio, Texas. Registration information can be found in show notes below. Natural Resource and Conservation Service has released notification of conservation collaboration grants that are due on February 7th. This is a 50% cost share grant program to improve, restore, or maintain natural resources. For more information on how you might benefit, please visit your local NRC office for eligibility and program requirements. The Indiana Small Farms Conference will be held at the Hendricks County Fairgrounds in Danville, Indiana on March 5 to 7. Registration information can be found in show notes below this video. On February 27th, the Indiana Forage Council Annual Meeting and Seminar is open to the public. It will be held at Purdue University's Daniel Turfgrass Research and Diagnostic Center just west of campus in West Lafayette, Indiana. The meeting starts at 4.30 with a meal and fellowship followed at 6 and a seminar at 7 o'clock. For more information, visit show notes below. Please join us again on the third Friday of each month for a new edition of Beef Monthly. An audio version of these programs is also available on the more popular sites where you might download podcasts. This presentation was a production of the Animal Science Department at Purdue University.